It's Infrastructure Day at the White House, a growing number of states overruling the federal guidance on boosters, and Taylor Swift dominates the charts once again. Monday Need to Know, let's go. morning. This is Cheddar's Need to Know podcast for Monday, November 15th. I'm Jill Wagner with Carlo Versano. Hey, Carlo. Good morning, Jill. How are you today? How was your weekend? My weekend was okay. Um, thank you so much for uh, a little baker doing the podcast on Thursday and Friday. Appreciate it. Uh, how are you guys? Uh, we're good. I actually, I meant to say this to you. I, I watched a uh, movie last night that's right up your alley. It's called The Holiday. Are you familiar with this film? It's a mid-2000s I mean, am I familiar with it? I've seen it a hundred <laughs> times. Okay, I figured as much. I figured as much because I was thinking of you. I was like, they don't really – we were watching this. I guess it's on Netflix. Um, it's you know, it's like one, It's like a Nancy Myers movie. It's like a rom-com, Jude Law, Kate Winslet, Cameron Diaz. It's stupid, but I, I enjoyed it. Uh, but I was just like – Should I interrupt kind of you and tell you that this came out, I think, in the 90s and everyone's already seen it or like the early 2000s? Yeah. Is it? I mean, it's an old movie. It's It's – amazing it's feel good yeah. it's wonderful yeah it's old anyway i was just telling, i was i turned to becky and i was like these are the kind of movies that they don't make anymore and that jill always complains about them not making anymore so uh by the these way these are the we start, types jill, of movies that would get me back in the theater yes i exactly, realized exactly. that amc and none of these movie theater chains want my money and that these production companies <laughs> clearly don't want my money but if you're if you're wondering that is what i will go see and then spend 15 bucks on popcorn and candy Totally. Um, um, Carlo. And, uh, let's... No, I was just going to say uh, uh, one just point of business I wanted to mention. I'm going to be out for a couple days this week. Uh, Becky's going back to work uh, starting tomorrow. So after six months of maternity leave, so it's a little bit uh, hectic and stressful over here. So I'm just going to take a couple days off to try and help smooth out that transition. But I will. Uh, I think you've got Baker for the next couple days, and then I'll be back at the end of the week to help uh, with the whatever it is we do at the end of the week. Love 88, I guess. <laughs> I have Baker booked, and I also booked Mosh, and uh, good luck oh, to did. Becky. Nice. Yes, yeah. uh, good luck to Becky. Going back to work after maternity leave, one of the harder things that I have personally ever done, and I don't think a lot of I people remember. talk about it, It's and I, kudos to wherever she works that gave her six months. Um, yeah. I went back after three, and I was like a shell of myself. You, remember, I literally was I pumping do. milk in the makeup room as you and I would be prepping for the podcast. It was a little bit of insanity. It is. And I don't, I don't, I didn't appreciate it at the time, uh, how hard that must've been for you. Uh, but I do now. And just, uh, it's, it's incredible. Um, how, how difficult we in this country make it on our moms in their job of and, perpetuating and humanity. I got three months, which is, is the norm and it's considered yeah. pretty generous. I mean, there are, this is not le legally required as we know nationally, uh, the U S basically the only country plus a handful of others, uh, very small countries that do not <laughs> mandate paid family leave for, for new parents. So, yeah. um, just a good representation of why that stuff actually matters. Absolutely. All right, let's do a little uh, news. Shall we do some news, Carla? Shall we get to some news here? <laughs> yes. um, President Biden will be signing the bipartisan infrastructure bill into law at a ceremony today. He's invited lawmakers from both parties to the signing, but only a handful of Republicans are expected to attend. The White House has also appointed Mitch Landrau, the former New Orleans mayor, as the infrastructure czar in charge of overseeing the funds. He is known for guiding New Orleans recovery after Hurricane Katrina. 
I thought that was uh, that piqued my interest when I saw that come across last night. Uh, Landro, um, if he is successful in getting these funds dispersed and kind of getting you know getting the shovels in the ground, as they say, um, I think you could look for his name to sort of rise to the top of the field for potentially 2024. Um, you know, Democrats have a serious. We talked about this last week. They have a serious bench problem at the moment, right? Given that uh, the president's heir apparent is currently polling worse than most members of Congress. So I think it's uh, it's smart of Biden to elevate somebody like Landrow, who was uh, widely popular when he was mayor of New Orleans. Uh, he comes from a red state. Um, he's an interesting he's an interesting guy. Um, so I, I I certainly wouldn't be happy if I were Mayor Pete, though, because this is kind of his uh, bailiwick that, <laughs> that Landrow is is coming for, I think. Um. You know, I didn't even think of that with Mayor Pete, but I, I think you're right. Uh, that seemed like the perfect assignment for him, given that he pretty much oversees the department that it, it, it's, yeah. all it's all involved with. Um, all right. California and New Mexico have now joined Colorado in overruling the federal government to allow booster shots for all adults as they try to fend off a surge during the holidays. Colorado and New Mexico have some of the highest rates of infection in the U.S., while California's case rate is now higher than it was a month ago. The federal guidance still recommends boosters for only those considered most at risk, although in practice the shots are widely available to anyone who wants one. Just another what a what a mess this this booster stuff is. I mean, first of all, this is pretty unprecedented for these states, especially a state like California, uh, to go against the federal guidance like this. But I I totally get it. I mean, it it feels like, and I know that you and I have discussed this for like what feels like months now. But it feels like we're just kind of making it up as we go along here with regard to the boosters <laughs> and the guide the guidance about the boosters. I mean, why not at this point just open it up to everybody who wants one now ahead of. Thanksgiving ahead of the the holiday gatherings that are almost certain to spike cases across this country. I, I'm, I think I'm going to go get one this week and I'm going to have to like lie about it. Right. I'm going to have to lie about having a job that puts me at high risk, which is ridiculous. That's completely absurd at this point. I mean, the federal government is acting like we have supply constraints with these vaccines when we don't. We're throwing them out at this point. It's like, you know, they're acting like we have to hold these shots for the people who have had months to get them and have repeatedly told us that they aren't going to do it. I don't I seriously do not understand what the Biden administration is doing here. And the other thing is that they expire. It's not like they, you know, uh, an Entenmann's yeah, cookie right. that sits on the shelf for three years. You know, it's, <laughs> it's it, at, at a certain point, you got to throw these things out. So you may as well put them into people's arms. Um, nothing against Entenmann's cookies, by the way. Um, some newly delicious. public documents and interview transcripts from the early days of the pandemic show how top officials in the Trump administration tried to block public health guidance from the CDC as the coronavirus was rapidly spreading throughout the country. According to files released by a congressional committee, the White House repeatedly blocked media briefings and interviews with CDC officials about mask guidance and other issues back in February and March of 2020. At the same time, Trump was publicly saying that infections would, quote, be down close to zero and, quote, go away. Emails show that top officials in his administration also tried to alter the CDC's weekly data reports to better reflect the administration's overly optimistic statements. You know, this is uh, no one. No one will care. Right. But this is insane. Uh, I want to make sure that we get on the record with it. Uh, and I know that we pretty much knew all of this. Right. We were alive for this. We were reporting on it as it happened. Um, but still to see it spread, you know, spelled out in contemporaneous emails and such at the time. 
I think it's just worth remembering, right? The the Trump administration's initial response to, to COVID was so bad, right? It was so beyond the pale dangerous. Um, and there were no repercussions for it whatsoever, no accountability. I mean, I guess there was accountability in the sense that he was not reelected. Um, but I mean, we're, we're looking at 800,000 dead people in America and counting. Uh, how many of those lives could have been saved if we just had an administration back then that took this seriously from the get-go, even a little bit seriously, right? Even even just like the bare minimum. Uh, you know, even in Brazil, the corrupt Senate in Brazil has accused Bolsonaro of mass murder for essentially doing the same thing that Trump did and just sort of ignoring the virus. I mean, meanwhile... Trump is basically a lock for the GOP nomination uh, next cycle. It's just – and also, let me just say, Joel, like we shouldn't forget how badly we botched this at every level, right? It wasn't just Trump, uh, of course, right? We, we know about the mistakes that were made by the NIH and Fauci with the masks and whatnot. The difference is I think that those mistakes were at least probably coming from the right place, I think, even if they were wrong in retrospect. But Trump's dismissal of COVID from the beginning, that was different. It was malevolent. And I think it's – I just want it to be remembered forever as such. Um, no, I'm glad that you included this today. And as I was prepping for, for the podcast, I was doing some Googling to try to find mm -hmm. these documents in this story. And it's not really getting a lot of play. Uh, most no, of not. outlets kind of burying it, not the lead, not really reporting it. So to your point, I do think everyone's kind of moved on. And I, and I would yeah. agree that I don't think that we should. I think this is a, a huge problem. Um, and I was thinking back, do you remember in February, it was February 25th, I, I looked it up. Um, it was the director, uh, the former National Center for Immunization and Respiratory Diseases director. It's a very long title. Her name was Nancy Messonnier. Um, and I will never forget that she told reporters that she expected that there was going to be community spread within the U.S. and that she thought that there would be severe disruptions to everyday life. And it was yeah. sort of the first time that anyone high up from the CDC or from, from the administration had just leveled with us. Um, right. We saw what was going on in Italy. We saw what went on in China. It was pretty obvious that this virus would have the same impact here in the United States, but nobody was telling us that. And they were kind of just like, oh, business as usual, blah, blah, blah. Um, and and I remember that. And then they kind of had to backtrack it. Apparently, according to documents, um, this was extremely frustrating to President Trump that she came out. And, and we did sort of know that at the time. Um, and then, according to Politico, from that point, the White House took the lead on the federal response. They controlled all communications and messaging about the virus and then denied the CDC's requests to hold their own briefings. No, I, I do remember. And, um, uh, yeah, I just... And remember, I mean, we knew, we knew this, right? Trump said he admitted it to Bob Woodward in Bob Woodward's book that he was purposely downplaying this because he was worried about its effect on the stock market at the time. And I remember having a conniption the day that that came out because I was just like, this, that is just, it is so unbelievably upsetting. Uh, and it just seemed like nobody really cared. I, I just, and, and I still sort of feel like that. And I don't want – like whatever. It happened. Like it is in the past. Like we should move on I guess. But not necessarily – not with something like this. Not with something like a public health disaster like this because this is this could happen again and we have to be prepared for it. And it's also – and, and the argument from the Trump administration, forgetting even the stock market, was just kind of like we didn't want everyone to panic. But we're adults. 
why don't you yeah. just tell us what's going right. on? We're taxpayers. We're paying your salary. Uh, we don't have yeah. access to some of this high level information that you're looking at. We're relying on you to give us that information. Um, right. And it's fine. And, and by I, the way, I can't they were giving that information. They were giving that information to members of Congress at the time who were then selling stock based off of that while we were going about our regular lives, breathing in COVID particles wherever we went, right? All right, Carlos, switching gears now, a new law went into effect this weekend in Portugal that makes it illegal for an employer to contact staff outside of their regular working hours, except in the case of an emergency. The move is part of a sweeping revamp of labor laws in that country meant to protect people who are working from home, dubbed right to rest. The new laws also require employers pay parts of the electricity and Internet bills for staff working from home. Parents are allowed to work remotely until their kids turn eight without prior approval from the boss. Amazing, amazing. Wow. This is one of my little sticking points I always complain about, um, and it's it sounds ridiculous because it's like such a first world problem, as they say, but like complaining about how my electricity has gone up as I'm working from home and you know my employer should kick in for, for it. So it's, it's funny to see them actually doing that. There's also a rule here uh, that requires remote workers to go into the office in Portugal once every two months, assuming that they have one, which is sort of t an idea to combat the isolation of working from home, uh, which we, we both know of. Um, but uh, broadly speaking, Portugal's government hoping that these protections entice more remote workers to actually move to that country, uh, which has already become a major destination for these so-called uh, digital nomads, people who can kind of work from anywhere. Um, they've got herd immunity there, too, by the way. Ninety eight percent of the eligible population in Portugal fully vaccinated. Uh, restrictions are, are basically uh, have been dropped. It's almost back to normal there. It's basically Portugal is what looks like is what an endemic virus looks like now. And that could be us. That could be us. They, you know, they, they didn't politicize the vaccines. Everybody got one. Everybody went back to life. Uh, and it's remarkable to see. That is a, by the way, an amazing country, a gorgeous country, uh, if you've never been. And I would happily move there, especially with these new laws. Um, the only argument I could see for not, for a company not paying the electricity of a remote worker is if you have the option to work in the office. So if they're paying for the office to keep yeah. those lights on and somebody is voluntarily is saying, you know, I would rather work from home, then the mm. then the employer would basically be paying for rent, like double, electricity, yeah. et cetera, twice. Yeah. I just I think that's the that's the least of the uh, interesting parts of this. The big thing is basically yeah, it saying is. like I don't know why I thought of that. I'm, I, uh, no, no, no. I think you're tangent. right, though. But the, but the the, um, the important thing is they're basically saying, you work these hours and then you're off. There is no you know we're trying to create this kind of like real work life balance. And that, as we both know, one of the big problems with working from home, as great as it is in a lot of ways, there's no delineation in the day, right? You're just kind of like awake and kind of working all day. And there's good and bad to that. Uh, Taylor Swift proved this weekend that she could still dominate the popular uh, dominate pop culture. If anyone doubted her, the re-release of her 2012 album Red has been trending on social media since it was released on Friday, breaking streaming records in the process. She promoted that album on two different late night shows, performed the 10 minute version of All Too Well on Saturday Night Live. So this, by the way, broke the record for the longest SNL musical performance uh, at the time. She also released a short film of the song that's already been watched 30 million times on YouTube. And she teased another upcoming music video directed by Blake Lively that is dropping today. Um, I don't know why I was on Twitter and a SNL after party was trending and there were pictures of Blake oh, yeah. Lively, Ryan Reynolds and Taylor Swift with their masks on going into an after party. <laughs> it, it made me rem like kind of, 
uh, nostalgic for the days when I was a page at NBC and we would be able oh, yeah. to go to the after parties and it was really fun. Did you ever do that? You ever, you went to I an did. after well, party? I did. We couldn't go to the after party. So there was like, there's an after party, which is really for just the cast and the, and the yeah. crew there. And then there's an after after party, which was pretty Ooh, much open to everybody. So we would go to the after after party. Uh, that's that was one of the things I never got to do uh, in my days at NBC. That is pretty cool. Uh, Taylor Swift, though, I mean, wow, not, nothing if not a brilliant businesswoman. At just, I mean, think that none of this would have happened if Scooter Braun had just sold her back the rights to her own masters. It's pretty remarkable when you think about it. She was like, "Oh, you're not going to do that? I'm just going to re-release all of this, make a bunch of money in the process, um, and you know, dominate the charts once again." It is. Uh, it's it's something, and I gotta say, I listened to a, a fair chunk of that album, which is like six, sixteen hours long. But um, it, it's quite good, I have to say. And I just wish Jake Gyllenhaal would return that scarf already. <laughs> um, also on SNL, one of the new cast members, Sarah Sherman, she made her debut. Um, oh, that was on, good on a Weekend Update, and it was so funny. And she's getting yeah. rave reviews. I was laughing out loud. Yeah, no, that I, I meant to send that to you. That was hilarious. Um, uh, it's funny actually. SNL is having. A, a little resurgence now, thanks to their new cast members. Her and the guy who does the Trump impression are killing it. You know, this season's been great so far. And finally, yeah. in one 24-hour period late last week, Paris Hilton got married. Lindsay Lohan's uh, acting comeback was announced with a rom-com on Netflix. I don't know if it's going to be the holiday, but it, maybe it'll be close. <laughs> uh, Britney Spears was finally freed of her conservatorship, and they all came. Uh, it, it all came about 15 years to the day after that notorious New York Post front page, which showed Hilton, Lohan, and Spears out clubbing together. The headline was "Bimbo Summit." Um, there was an op-ed in the Post this weekend from Kirsten Fleming. She wrote, even as they've resurfaced in tandem as if the ghost of mean Perez Hilton had summoned them, they've seemed <laughs> to flip the narrative. They're making headlines for positive reasons, giving Gen Xers and elder millennials hope and optimism. Uh, yeah, there's a lesson there, I think, right? If Brittany, Paris, and Lindsay can survive the mid-2000s uh, only to thrive <laughs> in the 2020s, I think, you know, you can too. We can all do it. Uh, but yeah, to, it, it's it's fascinating because there's a real revival of kind of like the mid-2000s right now. Avril Lavigne, I think, has a new song coming out. Katy Perry's hair is back to being black. Um, so, you know, the fashion, I think, is coming back from that time. We shall see. Um, okay, quick more to know before we go. President Biden will meet virtually with Chinese President Xi Jinping today. The first face-to-face -face meeting of the leaders of the world's two largest economies comes to a, comes at a particularly tense time in U.S.-China relations, with Xi gaining power at home. Yeah, the nine-year-old boy. This is a sad update here. Who was injured in the Astro World Stampede uh, has died, bringing the t the death toll from that concert disaster now to ten. Ezra Blount's family says that he succumbed to his injuries in the hospital on Sunday night, more than a week after he was trampled when the crowd at that Travis Scott show surged toward the stage. Just unbelievably, atrociously Please. bad. Police in the UK have arrested three men in connection with a taxi cab explosion outside of a hospital in the city of Liverpool over the weekend. One person was killed. The driver of the cab was injured in that explosion. The men are being held under Britain's Terrorism Act. That's something to keep an eye on. It's pretty unclear what, what's going on there exactly. Uh, it's been raining so hard in Egypt that scorpions are now being driven into people's homes and stinging them. At least 500 people in southern Egypt have been hospitalized with scorpion stings. Uh, just days of heavy rain and flooding first uh, forced those venomous arachnids from their hiding places right into the house. 
that would t- terrify uh, me. I frightening. Another airline passenger is facing assault charges after allegedly punching a flight attendant in the head. A female passenger was arrested at a Dallas Love Field after she got into a physical altercation with a Southwest Airlines employee who had to be hospitalized. And, you know, everybody says that it's Mariah Carey that ushers in the holidays. But for my money, it's this. The Rockefeller Center Christmas tree has arrived in Manhattan. The 79-foot Norway spruce took the journey from Maryland to Midtown, where it will now stand in front of 30 Rock for the holiday season. The lighting ceremony will be on December 1st, Joel. All right. That is what you need to know for Monday, November 15th. Carlo, good luck to, um, to you and to Becky this week. Thanks so much. Uh, I'll be back in a couple days, and thank you guys for holding down the fort.